Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. So a man in obvious pain walks into the doctor's office and gasps out, Doc, I'm in serious pain. I need your help. The doctor asks him what's wrong, to which the man replies, It's my arm, Doc, my, my elbow. Every time I move my arm like this, ah, ow, ow, uh, it really hurts. The doctor looked at the man rubbed his chin and said, my recommendation is to uh, just stop doing that. Okay, I know, terrible joke, one I'm sure you've heard before, but you know, there might actually be something to that very simplistic advice. On today's episode, we're going to go totally nuclear, then we'll take some shots of friendly fire, and finally we'll reminisce about the good old days when the chip bag was only mostly full of air. So, grab your Geiger counter, put on your flak jacket, and start balancing that checkbook, because uh, here we go. Every year we hear about the top ten words added to such and such a dictionary. As of the last number of years, most of the words that have been added are, well, let's call a spade a spade here. They're stupid. Yeah, I know they're words that are used. Yes, I know that the words have a specific definition. No, I don't think we should add idiotic, nonsensical, woke words to the dictionary. Yes, I realize that makes me the get-off-my-lawn old man, and I'm fine with that. But did you know that words also get removed? It doesn't happen nearly as often or as fast, but every dictionary maker has their own process. They either label the words as archaic or obsolete, or they outright remove them when certain criteria are met. I think there are a few words that will be hitting the lexographer, the lexiographer, the lexicographer's floor in the very near future. The words bipartisan and nonpartisan don't seem to have any practical use anymore, as everything is politically divided, and seemingly by a canyon deeper and wider than even the Colorado River could carve out in millions of years flowing uphill in order to do so despite all natural laws, but I digress. Your political affiliation no longer just affects your representative, who then fights for the party platform and for the majority of the constituents who voted for him or her while keeping all who didn't vote for that person in mind as well. No, everything's divided. The Supreme Court, the media, school boards, the military leadership, hospitals, and every government or public-private partner agency, financial, medical, safety, regulatory, they're all staunchly politically divided, whether they're supposedly neutral or not. From the AP headline, Feds rescind license extension for Florida nuclear plant. Nuclear. It's pronounced nuclear. Okay, yeah, nuclear, whatever. So, I know, you may find me a bit, I don't know, cynical in some of these reviews, and, and admittedly, yes, I, I, I am in many cases, definitely. But if you've actually listened to any of my podcasts, can you blame me? And trust me, I cover much, much less than 
a quarter of what I find. Not the point. This entire article is nine short paragraphs long, and we'll take a look at the content in a moment, but you have to go all the way to paragraph nine to the middle of paragraph nine before you find this gem. Quote, Days after taking office in 2021, President Joe Biden named Democrats to take over the NRC, which is the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. The agencies have been reevaluating decisions made by Republican-led panels under former President Donald Trump. Okay, I know. Everything that that deranged orange cowboy did was at best crazy, but more likely it was absolutely deadly. I mean, $2 per gallon gas and energy independence, historically low unemployment rates, general prosperity. Need I go on with his hate and terror? This was something that Biden promised he would do on day one, basically reverse, halt, review, and or fix (laughs) everything that Trump did. On day one. Yeesh, doing that even creeps myself out, huh? And to be honest, I have no problem with an incoming president reviewing everything his predecessors, especially the immediate predecessor, has put in place and possibly even putting some things on hold. But Biden's handlers, overlords, caretakers, and in-home nursing staff decided to do this as a blanket order, not a piece-by-piece type of thing, which, let's be real, is a lazy vindictive, pandering, and overall stupid move, no matter what letter is behind the name of the president. As for this specific issue, affecting not only the Turkey Point facility in Florida, but also the Peach Bottom (coughs) facility in Pennsylvania, the decision to rescind the license extension pending further review is once again solidly based in settled science, That is to say, not any true science whatsoever. Okay, the background. In 2019, Florida Power & Light, FPL, was granted their request for an extension of the operating license for two reactors running since 1972 and 1973 to continue that operation until 2052 and 2053, respectively. The two reactors, per FPL's website, supply 1,600 million watts of electricity, enough to supply 900,000 average homes annually. This is a small facility overall. Turkey Point accounts for, at least from what I could find, about 1.6% of the total nuclear capacity in the U.S. and about one-tenth of 1% of the total generation capacity for the U.S. from all sources. Now, Peach Bottom (laughs) is about 1.7 times larger than Turkey Point, so neither of them is huge in the grand scheme of things, but I'd say that the businesses and homes that get their power from them and the already overtaxed electrical grid would probably miss even their small contributions. So why were their extensions rescinded pending further review? Besides the fact that Trump is a lunatic, obviously trying to uh, nukeify and blow up us all, everyone say it with me now. Here we go. Ready? Environment. Yep, that's right. You got it. Yeah, the cleanest and safest of all the practical, realistic energy generation sources is not and has never been 
liked by the greenies because, well, not because of environmental science or, or science at all or, or safety records, probably because they're either concerned with a nuclear incident or they're afraid that we're just pumping nuclear waste and spent fuel rods into the endangered habitats of the red booby titmouse or, or they're just whiners that aren't happy unless they're screeching about something. Diane Curran, the attorney for Beyond Nuclear, that's the environmental group that's reading about the license extensions, stated that the environmental impact statement being used was revised in 2013 and was only looking at the reactors being extended to 2032 and 2033, which they were approved for, but not another 20 years out. She said that even the NRC has said that reactors operating longer than 60 years create unique safety and environmental issues related to the age-related degradation of safety equipment. Um, okay, and? I mean, this is what maintenance, preventive and predictive maintenance, and maintenance strategies are there for. And this is what capital investment for, lifetime extensions is there for. This is why a 100-year-old car can still run along just fine, because... Equipment can be maintained and operated for a long, long time. But that's not their big problem. The real issue is that although they've iterated these concerns before, as the article states, this gives them, quote, a chance to reiterate concerns that federal regulators didn't adequately consider the risks of climate change and flooding from sea level rise when granting the last extension. And there it is the mythical sea level rise due to global warming. Remember, this was already previously iterated and ignored. And FPL stated last time that rising sea levels and other climate concerns aren't going to compromise anything. But of course, these environmentalists aren't happy until everyone agrees with them that everything destroys everything and makes Mother Gaia cry. Now, Could someone explain to me how national power generation, nuclear generating facility licensure, and global climate has anything to do with a political party? These types of things should be driven by science, shouldn't they? But no, these things are driven by a quote, 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 settled science, which is literally nothing but a religious cult. But for a moment, let's ignore the pro-environment stuff that FPL is actually doing, specifically at the Turkey Point site, which is actually fairly substantial. You can find a link in the notes to see their statement. And let's look at this claim that rising seas will flood the location, the reactors, and cause the planet to crack in half or all animals to die or whatever's supposed to happen. In a blog from 2019 found on CEI.org entitled, Wrong Again? 50 Years of Failed Eco-Pocalyptic Predictions, we find some very, very interesting stuff. If you scroll your way down through the predictions, you find that this planet, or the water on this planet, or the food on this planet, has been in jeopardy and should have all been destroyed and barren many many times over the last 50 years. But as I've said before, everything in all of creation appears to have a natural vibration, a frequency, and an oscillation. 
And so, too, does apparently the climate disaster predictions. Starting in 1967, we have a prediction of dire famine by 1975. Now, y'all remember the dire famine of 75. I mean, I was born in 75, but my parents have told me of the diarrhea-ness of the famine of that year. It was so very dire. In 1969, we were told that if we didn't just stop everything, the earth would blow up soon. Foop. Then starting in 1970, the cries about the upcoming global, uh, wait a minute, no, let me, global cooling, the, the impending ice age. Now, this one guy said that if we keep polluting, we'd block out the sun and cause an ice age. <laughs> and believe it or not, that's a literal solution that's being talked about today. Literally pumping particulates into the air to block out the sun to combat global warming. And because this guy found his five minutes in the pollution-obscured sun, he also said that if we keep using so much electricity, all the streams and rivers would be dried up, used as cooling water for power plants. Now, you'll need to Google streams and rivers to see what those used to be and used to look like way back then. Of course, there were continued predictions of dead oceans, water rationing, and food rationing, all by 1980. Another prediction of an ice age in 2020 or 2030, or 2070. Then we had the ozone layer fall apart before our very eyes as acid rain literally melted all the steel in the world and left nothing but perfectly white skeletons of man and beast everywhere they fell. And we had the unavoidable droughts. Then in 1988, the predictions started coming for global warming. Washington, D.C. was going to spend a quarter of the year over 90 degrees by the 90s. The Maldives, Maldives Islands were going to be completely covered by water by 2018. And I feel so bad for all of those Maldivians out there in that resort area treading water right now, just waiting for the sea levels to lower again, like Obama promised they were. In 1989, we were told that rising seas were going to obliterate nations by 2000. In 1989, we find out that we're only going to have the use of New York City's West Side Highway until 2019, at which point it will be completely underwater. In the year 2000, we were told that the young children would grow up without knowing what snow is. And as a dad of a child born in 2007, can I just speak for a moment on the futility of trying to explain the cold and the, and the dry but wet nature of, of something we used to call snow? No, I can't, as that's never happened, obviously. In 2004, a secret report ooh, was obtained by The Guardian. You've got to hear this. Quote, a secret report warns that major European cities will be sunk beneath rising seas as Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. Nuclear conflict, mega droughts, famine, and widespread rioting will erupt across the world. Right? Remember 2020? Remember how brutal it was? All of that stuff? You're locked in your house? Most of y'all sinners watching the Tiger King for some unknown reason? It's uh, exactly what was predicted. In 2008, NASA scientist and climate looney tune Dr. Hansen said that by 2018, the Arctic will be completely ice-free in the summer. To quote Hansen's scientific opinion, quote, We're toast. 
Al, you're welcome for the internet gore, told us in 2008 that by 2013 the North Polar ice cap would be gone. In 2009, Prince Charles gave us eight years to save the world. You do remember how we all died and the planet exploded back in 2017, right? And on and on and on these go. The reality of the situation is that these climate scientists are quacks at best. Evil manipulators at worst. There's a lot of scientist money in global climate fear. But for whatever they are, for whatever goes into these predictions, not one bit of it is science. The problem, as I've stated before, is that we've taken God out of the equation of science and replaced it with evolution and random chance And now we've even gone further and replaced it with our political ideology. See, without God at the center, we'll never get this right. Science, in fact, started as philosophy, the study of how things work. And it was started largely by Christians, almost entirely by Christians and deists, who were trying to figure out how God, or a higher power than man, put this stuff together. What are the laws that the lawmaker made and set in place? How does life work? What's up with all the stuff in the sky? How does that stay up there? How far away is it? What's it for? And then in the early 19th century, the term science was coined, and the general split from a God-based viewpoint began. As Darwin and his unprovable, illogical, and patently racist theory of evolution with random chance and survival of the fittest as their gods gained popularity, the transition from a God-based study of creation was replaced with the scientific view of a chaotic explosion, with man now being the highest power that there is. Now, because God has been relegated to the back bench, I mean, if allowed in the room at all, and really done more by one political party than the other, we now make decisions based on errant information, faulty science, incorrect assumptions, virtually no understanding of the workings of this world, and what will get us the most votes from our voting block. The decision to rescind the extensions for these two facilities pending review was done for two reasons. To smack at a political opponent and his supporters, and to allow Mother Earth to have her say. God no longer has anything to do with anything. And you see exactly where that gets us. In America, we have the best, bravest, strongest, smartest fighting force possibly ever assembled. Even with some of the (laughs) insanity of our dear leaders, these men and women bravely perform their duties in the face of just about anything, to be honest. Now, I know I speak for hundreds of millions, if not billions of people, not only in America, but around the world, that sincerely thank them for what they do, for their sacrifice, and I pray for God's protection over them. One reason our military is the way that it is, is because they operate on a very strict chain of authority and guns, but mostly the chain of authority thing. If anyone steps out of line, there's a series of disciplinary steps that takes place to either snap them back into order or remove them. And this is absolutely necessary as a military that resembles the classic movie Stripes would be (laughs) bad. Each member of our armed forces takes an oath first to the Constitution and then to the president and commanding authorities. 
And relatively speaking, there is very little issue with this. Maybe it's all hush-hush, but we don't hear about massive issues of insubordination, especially the higher you go in that chain of command. But military personnel in every branch, in every position, are humans. We kind of forget about that sometimes, lumping them all together as the military or as a branch, you know, the army. But each member is a human, an image bearer of God, with hopes, fears, emotions, dreams, strengths, weaknesses, and beliefs. And although you need to kind of check most of that at the door when you enlist, the reality is these people have God-given rights, which are broadly restated in their citizen rights that you find in the Constitution. So what happens when you get a conflict of your God-given rights, say between your right to practice your beliefs and direct orders from a commanding officer? Well, I think you'd have to go case by case to determine what's really going on, but if there is a legitimate conflict, we can wind up with a mess. From NavyTimes.com, headline, Destroyer can't deploy because CO won't get COVID vaccine, Navy says. The gist of this article is pretty simple. The commanding officer of a Navy destroyer, one of 68 total of this class, is refusing to get a COVID vaccine shot, citing his right to be exempt per his religious convictions. The court system has been drug into this, and the bottom line is he can't be fired. They can't make him get the shot or remove him from command or force him to step aside, at least for now, and both sides have dug in their heels. Now, he apparently was sick back in February, but didn't get tested until he was commanded to do so, which he complied with, and ended up having COVID. Now, look, I totally get this. I've been sick multiple times over the last two years. I'm sick right now. I've got a cold again here. Maybe some were COVID. Maybe they weren't. If it was a cold to me, I treated it like a cold. I've never in my life ran to get tested for anything else at the drop of a hat. I don't see a reason to treat other viruses differently. That's my personal opinion. I bet his viewpoint is probably similar. Of course, in waiting to be tested, he committed the one unforgivable sin. <laughs> not, not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's child's play compared to this. He actually exposed other sailors to the COVID virus. And none of them were hospitalized or died, apparently, because judging by the tone of this article and the thoroughness of their quotes, I'm sure this article would have made that point abundantly clear had it happened. So the Navy is maintaining that he is not fit to command his boat, and that by countermanding the order given to him, he can't be expected to maintain order of a 320-sailor crew. Ergo, the destroyer is not deployable. Because of this one act of insubordination, billions of dollars of equipment is sitting idle. And so the battle rages on. Now, I don't want to go into the safety of the shot in general terms. I could argue this for hours <laughs> and have uh, from a personal, not even a religious, just a personal standpoint, I would stand shoulder to shoulder with the CO. I think anyone that wants to get the shot has that option available. Me, after doing a lot of research, I don't think it's very wise. And if you're still debating, I'd implore you to do more research. But if you want to do it, do it. It's your body. I think if you're getting the injection because you're being forced, you may want to really think about it. That's not looking out for your safety. That's coercion at best and really abuse. By the same token, I think that if you have personal reservations, if you have medical reasons, if you have 
religious reasons. You should be able to simply decline and move on with life. What I want to look at briefly is the logic behind this battle being fought between the commander and the military brass and our illustrious resident of the White Home. And to do that, we need to back up a little bit. When COVID was first revealed to us as a thing in the U.S., we were given a figure of potentially 2.2 million dead from the first wave. Now, this sent most people into various states of concern or panic. Personally, I was cautious for the first month, kind of feeling out what was going on, trying to follow the data. And after about a month, I knew this estimate was nonsense, as did a large number of the population, as they rolled out masks, enacted lockdowns, disregarded alternative medicines, you know, opting for ventilators, and certain death, I tried to look at the logicality of what we were being told, and I found very little, if any. In fact, in 2020, there were about 350,000 people that died from COVID. And in 2021, there were about 480,000 in the U.S. And this was after a massive number of injections were administered. As of now, there have been just under 1 million deaths in the U.S. from or, or with COVID over two years and three waves. But we've also had data come out that suggests the real number may be more like 50% of that. The bottom line is that we don't really know how many people died from COVID or with COVID, and there's a big difference there. But we do know that low vitamin D levels, obesity, and various existing conditions, as well as age, all seem to contribute to the lethality of this virus. I only say this because I prefer to look at data over fear and rhetoric. Moving back into the military, an order was given by Commander-in-Chief President, my butt's been wiped, that the entire military must get this magical so-called vaccine that worked so well that more people died after rather than before it was rolled out. The military does have a process to allow for religious exemptions to be applied for, but from my understanding, these are basically processed as rejected from the start, and then they're analyzed to determine if there's any reason at all to grant them. As of now, very, very few have actually been granted. In large part, the military has complied with this vaccine order. Out of approximately 2.1 million military personnel, about 1.99 million are partially or fully vaccinated. That's about 95%. And about 1.65 million of those are considered fully vaccinated. You know, the two-shot fully vaxxed. Not the coming, you need a booster to be considered fully vaxxed, fully vaccinated. That equates to about 79%. For comparison, for those of you that think, well, that's not enough, we need full vaccination like we do for everything else. Well, let me give you some data. Per the CDC, by the age of 24 months, 80.7% of children have had the DTP vaccine, 92.6% for polio, 90.8% for measles, 90.6% for hep B, 90.2% for chickenpox, etc., etc., so with 95% having at least one shot, we've exceeded every other vaccine out there. And with 79% being fully vaccinated, we're hanging pretty close with the others. So for those of you that want more, realize that you're walking around out there with people that are unvaxxed against all sorts of things. Now, tell me why you're not worried. Come on, come on, say it. It's because you're vaccinated with what is actually defined as a vaccination. 
and you're not worried about getting something like polio or measles, regardless of what someone else has chosen for themselves. Now let's pivot back to the military again, and the story at hand. Is it vital for everyone to be vaccinated against what has amounted to be a bad flu? What has deteriorated into a not-quite-as-bad flu? If the military only has 5% not vaccinated, is that really a concern? Yeah, but maybe this virus has hit the military especially hard. I mean, they're in close quarters, they're deployed around the world. This may be an issue of the utmost concern because of the toll it's taking on our military personnel. So let's look at the numbers, shall we? So far, the military, out of about 2.1 million people, have had just under 390,000 cases, out of which 2,546, or 0.12%, were hospitalized and 93 people 93 people or 0.004% have died to put that in perspective that's 44.3 deaths per million military personnel that seems like not a lot especially when you figure that in 2020 580 active duty military took their own lives See, that seems like more, and that also seems totally unacceptable. Back to COVID. As the stats sit today, and I think these are probably grossly inflated, but we'll just go with what we have, the death rate of the average American per 1 million people is 2,900, or 6,546% worse than the military. And when you look further into the numbers, this makes total sense, as three out of every four U.S. COVID deaths were in people 65 or older, with another one out of five in the age range of 50 to 64. When looking at military data, it appears that about 2% of the enlisted ranks are over the age of 45, and maybe around 12% of the officers are over the age of 45 without even touching the safety or efficacy of the alleged vaccine, which is literally the most dangerous for both men and women in the age range of nearly all military personnel, those in the military don't statistically need to worry about being hospitalized or dying from COVID. If I was told that I had a 99.88% chance I won't go to the hospital and a 99.996% chance that I won't die... I think I'd just go about my day without a care in the world, at least concerning COVID. So let's sum up what we know. The pandemic has never been as bad as the fear-mongering said it would be. The pandemic now is effectively over. People generally view this thing as a bad cold or a flu now. We're told the vaccine is safe and effective, which means if you're vaccinated, you should be protected from us filthy non-mRNA gene therapy shot-getters. And if you're not protected by your vaccine then why should I get a vaccine that doesn't work? We know that the general vaccination rate for real vaccines is in the 80 to 90% range for all the known viruses, etc. that we have shots for and have had shots for for some time now. We know that the military is basically 80 to 95% vaccinated. We know the military personnel statistically won't be hospitalized and will not die from COVID. We know that military personnel are the least susceptible to COVID next to children. We know that the shot is statistically the most dangerous for those ages that make up nearly our entire active duty personnel. 
and we know that the Constitution and the 1993 Act signed into law entitled the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 both guarantee the right of military personnel the freedom to exercise their religious beliefs. So why is a CO being put through all of this legal crapulence again? Oh right, because he's undeployable. Since he won't take orders, means his crew won't take orders from him. Uh, except that he actually just returned to port on March 4th with his destroyer, with his crew, after he was sent out on a two-week training and testing for military readiness tour. Doesn't that kind of destroy the narrative that he's undeployable? This is nothing but, uh, well, bullying, to be honest. There's no data, no proof, no reason for our military leadership, such as it is to be pursuing this commander, at least not the way they're doing. None. He, he clearly follows orders, and he does so quite well, as he's a commander. You don't get to that rank by being a troublemaker. But this is all about the shot. That's another reason why you, if you haven't gotten one, or if you have, but you haven't gotten a booster, this is another reason you should be putting the brakes on getting their needle in your arm initially or again. None of this is logical. It doesn't make any sense. None of anything we've been told has made any logical sense. And yet their push isn't to do what makes sense. It's to get injections in arms, no matter what. And because of this singular focus, this mindless worship of a chemical injection, this delusion that what they're trying to force will actually do something, at least something positive, because of this psychosis, we, and by we I mean our military leadership, is willing to make us that much more underprepared or ineffective as a fighting force. So I don't know if this commander is of a religion that doesn't believe in vaccines. I rather doubt it. I think that this commander is probably along the same lines I am. I believe that the shot will be damaging to the body that God has given me to take care of. And yes, before you go and re, I know that other things I do and eat are also damaging, but they're known quantities. Going to the doctor keeps me up on vitals, gives me direction as to what changes I should make, if I don't already know, in order to improve my health. This vaccine, as much as they want to tell you, is an unknown quantity. They didn't do animal testing, they have no long-term data, and that to me is enough to say I don't feel right about pumping in a hastily manufactured mystery chemical into my body based on sketchy and apparently secret data because I'm told to. I don't think that would be being a good steward of the body I've been granted. Your opinion may differ. The freedom of religion is under attack in this country. That's what's really going on here, and it's under attack from many angles, not just the COVID angle. Let me wrap up with this. Pray for this commander. Pray for the small number of a few more thousand that are being given orders that act against their conscience. Be in prayer for our military and our country, and this can't be said enough. Go to church. Exercise your right to attend a church service in person, not in your jammies on the couch. Read your Bible, pray in general terms. Realize, if we lose our freedom to worship our God, what do you got left? I think we can all agree that corporations are evil. Let's just start there. They take and they take and they take, and we are practically puppets that dance at the tug of their strings. I mean, Apple comes out with a new iPhone solely to make us want to buy it. PepsiCo keeps forcing me to try the next delicious flavor of Mountain Dew, 
nectar of the gods. How many times has a thug from the NyQuil Company Incorporated, I'm not looking up who owns them, practically come out of the shadows and threaten you to have a good night's sleep even whilst you feel awful? And Charmin may be the worst of all. They come out with ultra strong and essentially blackmail us into desiring to never have to worry about that kind of surprise again. And the list goes on. They're simply the worst. Filling our shelves and racks with food, medicine, clothing, food, appliances, games, food, furniture, electronics, entertainment, cosmetics, and food. Okay, yes, look, I'm trying to start a new diet. Get off my back fat. And all the while, these corporations expect us to pay them for these items while they merely compensate their thousands of employees unequally, simply based on their particular position within the company, and deliver evil, ill-gotten, probably, profits to the shareholders, using other profits for charitable giving and research and development to bring us more and better products of what we want. And they don't pay any taxes, except for what they do pay, per their teams of accountants that believe they should be able to follow and utilize the tax laws that are on the books. So we can all agree, these corporations are monsters. Well, hold on to your butts. From the Business Insider via Yahoo.com, headline, From five fewer Doritos to shrunken Gatorade bottles, here are the insidious ways companies are charging the same amount for less stuff terrorists. Okay, calm down, everyone. We'll never make it through this if we lose our heads. First, the gist of the article, which it won't really take that long. We're currently in a period, and, and really have been for a long time, it's just really ramping up right now, of shrinkflation. No, that's not what happens to a balloon over time. It's a process that companies use to resize or repackage products to give us less while charging us the same or potentially more. The article clearly makes this point, and they also say that our current issues are due to yet ongoing pandemic fallout, which seems odd since it only lasted 15 days. Huh. Eh, doesn't matter. As well as, quote, a side effect of inflation, which is being boosted by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You know, Russian oil and whatnot. Okay, we'll come back to that. They state correctly that inflation is something that everyone feels in real time. It affects everything. And as something like the cost of gas rises, so does the cost of our shelf-dwelling necessities. This is a given. We know this. I guess we're cool with this, from their perspective. But shrinkflation, we are not okay with shrinkflation. This is, as they said, insidious. These companies are simply hiding what they're doing, so they can pay their shareholders. <laughs> now, they give some examples here. They ask if you'd notice a bag of Doritos with five fewer chips. Well, I mean, if it's the party size, probably not. If it's the individual size, I don't think there are five chips in there, so uh, I'd probably notice that one. They said a roll of bounty paper towels come now with a handful fewer sheets. Now, my question is, whose hand? If it's like a tiny preemie baby, I'm not overly concerned. 
But if it's like uh, Andre the Giant, well, now, now I'm concerned. They said candy bar size is getting smaller if you buy the multi-pack than if you just buy them individually, which, I mean, price per ounce, right? Go with the deal to get the most candy you can for your $50. Gatorade redesigned their bottle to be more sleek and easier to hold, more aerodynamic. So, hey, be careful if you're used to the old bottle. This one will fly up to your face. You may not be ready. And they're apparently changing it from 32 fluid ounces to 28. And finally, Charmin toilet paper. Now, I'll admit, this one hits very close to whole, uh, home. home. Uh, 20 sheets per roll less over a period of time that they didn't state. Now, look, I mean, 20 sheets. <laughs> if you're Cheryl Crow, that's, uh, that's, 20, uh, that's 20 deposits. If you're the rest of us, <laughs> shoot, that's just the intermission. Now, look, they state that really these companies only have two other choices. They can either raise prices, and that would make us mad. Or they can just make smaller profits, and that would make the shareholders mad. So I guess, you know, we're all kind of stuck, aren't we? And then another smattering of actual reporting shows up in this article. They said that inflation is rising at a faster rate right now than it has in decades. They say 30 years. It's actually about 40 years, which brings us right to the droppings in the middle of the carpet that the Jimmy Carter era left us. They say that due to rising labor costs, ingredient prices, shipping costs, all of these contribute to inflation. And that's correct. And then they sum it up by telling us, you know, what it truly means for us. Quote, higher prices per gallon at the pump and less toilet paper for the same amount you used to pay. Huh. Well, so let's take a look at this. Yes, shrinkflation is a thing. It's always been a thing. Well... Sort of. In some respects, we are definitely getting less for our money today than we did a few years ago, recent past. This is a real tax on the consumer, every consumer. And for some that are already living on, you know, a paycheck to paycheck type budget, this drops them into the category of too much month left at the end of the money. And that's not good. I'm not minimizing that. But if you were to adjust your boundaries, and look at a longer-term view of what we get for our money today, you'd be astonished. How about single-ply rolls of toilet paper that was akin to sandpaper? If you adjust for inflation, what we get today is much better. The medicines are much better. Have you seen your TV? How much more of a TV can you get today with more features, clearer picture, lighter, flatter than you could, say, 15 years ago? A couple personal stories. I still have the receipt to my first computer bought in college, a Gateway. Remember Gateway? A Pentium 2 400 megahertz processor and an 8 gigabyte, that's right, 8 gigabyte quantum fireball hard drive that my friend said I'd never fill up, a Voodoo Banshee video card, a 17-inch CRT, you know, the big hernia-inducing type, monitor, and an HP color printer, all for the low, low price of $3,200. My phone, now just over 20 years later, absolutely destroys that entire rig for a fraction of the cost. My second story, I bought a new car in 2015. Nothing fancy, but new. My dad, 
was a little sticker shocked. So we compared. He bought the first new car that I remember back in 1987, and this is still a fully functioning daily driver because he's taken meticulous care of it. He told me how much they paid for it, and it again was nothing fancy but a nice car. Now, when you adjusted for inflation, the cost in 2015's dollars was within, I believe, about 10%, if I remember correctly. And my car has analog brakes, an infotainment system, heated seats, more power, traction control, Bluetooth connectivity, and the list goes on and on. I got a massive amount more for my dollar than he did. So yes, shrinkflation has and is happening. And no, it's not a good thing at all. But should we get mad at these companies? Biden said that these evil tax-dodging slave mills should be paying their employees more and paying more taxes and charging less for their products. Will that fix things? See, the real problem is not that companies are greedy. I mean, you know, some are, and, and they might be in general, but that's not what's driving the problem. The problem is literally the inflation. When the cost to obtain raw materials, process products and packaging, ship goods, and maintain equipment goes up, the money has to come from somewhere. Yes, the shareholders actually do expect a return of some sort for their shares. But if you hold a 401k or any mutual funds, odds are you are a shareholder as well. One way or the other, if the company starts to have problems, your nest egg starts to have problems. And I realize that CEOs make a lot more than the shop or factory floor workers, but that's because they're in that position. They've put in the time, many of them ignoring life around them, moving every couple of years, taking every position possible as they work their way through the ranks, working long hours, enduring brutal meetings and audits, and on and on. And they've proven themselves to be someone that can lead the company, or at least that's the consensus about this individual. And sometimes it doesn't pan out, but when it does, that CEO is easily worth the money being paid to him or her. The real problem is that we have too much money circulating in the system. And the recent cranking up of the money printers by Trump, because yes, he started this current wave, and now Biden, and, and you can actually go backward through a number of presidents that have been doing this, left and right, but with the extraordinary creation of money in the past few years, the money is becoming more and more worthless, meaning you need more and more of it to buy the same thing. You know, Global instability, yes, that does play a role, but Russia and their oil is not the cause of our inflation. Neither is COVID. The root of the problem, despite the bill of goods that crypt keeper Pelosi is trying to sell you, is that the massive amount of dollars floating around due to the insane spending is the actual problem. And the only true way to combat that is to pull the money back into the treasury and shred the dollars, remove them from circulation. Now, this is accomplished through the raising of interest rates. But we're at a point that everyone would lose their minds if the Fed raised them even close to the level that would be needed to make a dent. How would you like, let's say, 20% interest on your car or home loan? 25, 30%. And this is still low. But these rates over a number of years, along with cutting government spending to only the essentials, not just cutting the deficit, the amount that we put on the credit card every year, but actually paying on or paying down or paying off the debt, those things would make a difference. So now we're kind of stuck with a lot of money, not enough goods, 
and a government that's out of control, spending like there's no tomorrow. This doesn't end well. But Biden outlined, and the Dems have been pushing the solution for many years now. Soak the rich. At some point, you've made enough money, right? So if you make less than $400,000 a year, you won't pay another dime in taxes, he promised. Yeah, except for the inflationary increases, decreases in the buying power of your dollar, and shrinkflation. Those are all, quite literally, taxes on everyone. Most felt by the middle class down through the poverty level individuals. Let me paraphrase Reagan. Are you better off today than you were a year ago? So where does this come from? Well, I mean, obviously we have lying as the government bureaucrats, you know, the elected officials working for you. They never really tell you where the money's going. We have theft. And although I don't think all taxes are theft, like I know some people do, I do believe that taxes taken and not used for a legitimate reason, that is theft. And we definitely have poor stewardship. Remember the parable of the talents? The servant that was given 10 and double it, and the servant that was given 5 and double it, were blessed and given more responsibility. The servant that was given 1 and returned 1 because he hid it so as to not lose it, he was cursed as wicked and lazy and cast out. Our government has taken in approximately $114 trillion since 1789 and turned it into a negative $30.3 trillion. If the servant that returned what he was given was wicked and lazy, what does that make what our government has done? But what's driving this right now, the real driver for this, it's greed, covetousness, and it's from everywhere. We've got absolute hatred between people because they have more than me and I want mine. In fact, I want theirs. And why shouldn't I get their stuff? They've got plenty. Our leaders fuel this fire, especially but not exclusively on the left, by pitting a class or an ethnicity against each other. They look at the money you've legally, legitimately earned, and they've decided that it's too much. You don't need all that. They want a chunk of that, a bigger chunk of that. In fact, they're willing to keep people in slavery, beholden to the government teat by lying to them and telling them they'll never make it on their own. The holy government will help them. And it's all because of that guy over there. He did this to you. Yeah, we can elect whoever we want. We can rehash tax laws. We can increase or eliminate government handout programs. None of it will matter unless we first change the hearts of people. And the hearts and minds of people won't be changed until their eyes are opened, and they see Jesus for who he is, and they see themselves for who they are. As Romans 10 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, two things should stand out. Well, okay, more than two. But let me point out two things. First, God does not see classes, ethnicities, genders. He sees his children and those that are not his children. And he bestows his riches on all his children. This doesn't mean he makes us all healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. It's much more than just a temporary wealth. This is the full inheritance of the kingdom of God, co-heirs with Christ, eternal riches, so to speak, not temporary trinkets and baubles and coins. Second thing, 
notice that it doesn't say that God bestows his riches equally. Now, I don't really want to go too far arguing from a point of silence, but it just says that God bestows his riches on all who call on him. Now, with regard to salvation, yes, all who are saved are given the same salvation. But the Bible does clearly mention rewards in heaven. It won't matter, as we'll cast our rewards at the feet of Jesus, who is worthy of all rewards, but it is mentioned, and whatever God bestows on us will be perfect, and we will not feel slighted, or arrogant, or even worthy. So to wrap this up, let me give you what may be a controversial personal opinion. Ready? I believe that socialism is the perfect system. In a creation untainted by sin. The base principle of a utopian socialistic society is to those according to their need and from those according to their ability. You contribute all you can and you take what you actually need and no more. If we lived in a new heaven and a new earth and are all given tasks to care for the new earth, I believe that we'll have a kind of sinless utopian theocratic socialism. We will all contribute all that we can. We will all take what we need, and perfect harmony will be established. That said, we don't live in a sinless world, which means socialism and capitalism and every other systemism man has devised turns out evil, eventually tainted by laziness, greed, gluttony, covetousness, and hatred. And the only thing we can do until Jesus comes to gather his followers is to be a Christian. Act like a Christian. Put off greed. Put off sloth. Work as if you're working for Christ, because you are. Pray, read, and go and tell others. This sinful system may never change in this current era, but being the instrument that God uses to reach a lost individual and show them that there's a better way than a sinful life, true joy that reveals the murderous nature of hating someone else, an eternal truth that transcends money, riches that all the wealth of man can't even begin to compete with. That, not the triviality of this world, is what truly matters. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast@outlook.com, or increasingly, I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.